Thank you. Let us turn to the word of God. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. This is the title of our message. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. Um, this, today's message comes from Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verses, we'll be uh, reading uh, verses 11 through 24. Romans chapter 11, please turn to Romans chapter 11, beginning at verse 11. Please rise for the reading of the word of God. Romans chapter 11, beginning at verse 11, I will read. And I ask that you please follow along. Please read along to yourselves and reflect on the word of God as I read. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? I am talking to you Gentiles, and so much as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I make much of my ministry in this hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild, a wild, a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root, the root supports you. You will say then, branches are broken off so that I could be grafted in? Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fail, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in this kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist, if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. Amen. 
Please be seated. Now, let us ask God for illumination of our text. Our Lord and God, give us your, your spirit. Increase our capacity to listen and learn from your word. Increase our love for your glory, that is your gospel message. Bless our listeners, we ask and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Once again, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's been a long week, but with, uh, with great joy and with uh, just, uh, just, you know, I've learned a lot, I have to admit, in this past week. I've learned a lot, first of all, not only about God, but also about myself. And this is one of the joys that I, I have most in life is learning about God and learning about myself, my relationship with God. And I hope that you have too. Now, if you recall, last uh, week, I believe it was, the title of our message was God's Chosen Remnant. The topic of that message was the justification of the remnant of Israel by the grace of God. And I propose that in Romans chapter 11 verses 1 through 10, Paul reveals God's plan for the remnant of Israel. Because Paul wants the church to know that God is justifying the remnant of Israel. Now, I try to uh, unpack this or to um, break it down for you and by the following three points. We started by looking at, first of all, in point number one, uh, we saw that because God is justifying the remnant of Israel, the church must understand that God has been abandoning the rest since the fall. And point number two, we saw that because God is justifying the remnant of Israel, the church must understand that God has been delivering the remnant from the grips of sin since the fall as well. And point number three, we saw that because God is justifying the remnant of Israel, the church must understand that we have been celebrating the faithfulness, the faithfulness of God since the fall. So now that I've covered briefly what last week's message was and some of this material, what about today? Today's title again is Salvation Has Come. To the Gentiles. This topic, the topic of our message is salvation for the Gentiles through Israel. Salvation for the Gentiles through Israel. I'm confident that, the, that our text bears this out. And also, I'm confident that the text bears out this that in Romans chapter 11, verses 11 through 24, Paul reveals God's purpose for the Gentiles. Because Paul wants the church, that is us, to know that salvation comes through the Jews. Salvation comes through the Jews. How will I unpack this statement so that you can fully grasp the meaning of my message? 
Well, we will start by looking at the following three points. And point number one, we want to see that because salvation comes through the Jews, God has been using sinners to bless sinners. Real simple. He has been using sinners to bless sinners. And point number two, we want to see that because salvation comes through the Jews, God has been using Christ to bless the church that is us. Finally, we want to see that because salvation comes through the Jews, the church looks forward to the return of Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, these are some of the things that we'll be discussing. We must keep in mind that this book was written by Paul. Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. God bless his soul as he rests. But he is alive in heaven. We are confident that he is alive in heaven. And this word, his word, his letter that he has written to us, it remains as a message to us, to the church body, concerning the gospel. And the gospel reveals how God puts people right with himself. It is through faith from beginning to end. Let us not forget that. Amen? And the recipients of this marvelous message is the Jewish and non-Jewish converts during that time in Rome. And it's also, it belongs to us now, today, the church. Amen? And so this is what we really got to keep in focus here. We, you know, sometimes I forget and I get off track and I start going down paths that break away from why we are here, the purpose for why we are here. We're here because, of, first of all, God's mercy. God has been merciful to us. We must not forget that. We are deserving of God's eternal punishment, which is death, separation, destruction. That's all we truly are deserving of as a church body. But God, out of the love of his heart, out of his love for the Son, has brought us back into a right relationship with him, whereby we can call him Father. That is, he's our great provider. He provides us with all that we need for this life and for the life to come, which is eternal life with him. Amen? Amen. So we must not forget that. Now, keep in mind too that our text bears this message. And that is, first of all, salvation, our salvation comes through the Jews. It comes through the Jews. What is salvation? What do I mean by salvation? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll break that down a little bit further as time goes on. But understand that salvation is something that we all need. We all need salvation. Because without salvation, there is no relationship with God. Without salvation, there is no life. Period. We would not be here 
if there was not, if God, if it were not for God's plan of salvation for, for all of humanity. All humanity are par- is part of this story. You can think of it like a story. Salvation is a, is the story of God. He's, he's the chief creator. And we're the created. But think of it as a story. And it's his story. He wrote the book. Amen? And so in this story, as revealed according to the Bible, there are people. There are people that are involved. And these people have been given names. And some of the names that they have been given is, first of all, beginning with the Jews. The Jews are, first of all, the recipients of, essentially, the religion, the gospel message of, when I say religion, I'm talking about how to act with God, how to, how to commune with God, how to relate with God. They are the recipients of the plan on how to do that and how to do it properly, how to do it right and what God expects. They are the first recipients. Beginning with Abraham, then Isaac, or I should say Jacob, then Isaac. Well, let me see. No, it's Abraham, Isaac, then Jacob. Okay, I got to get that right. It's in that order, pretty much. Amen. And um, so after Jacob came the descendants of what God had begun to do in, in Jacob. Is that first of all he began to do a work in him. And I'm, I'm convinced that the work that he began in Jacob is the work that continues on to this day. And that is, it, it, it ended up with his descendants being passed on to the descendants of Jacob. That is the 12, the 12 tribes of Jacob. Amen? So any, again, this is God's story. And God has used people to... To bring forth his message, to bring forth the revelation of his eternal plan. And remember, God, God's plan is eternal. When I say it's eternal, it's God didn't, he, he, he didn't have to sit down with a pen and a piece of paper and write all this out. He had just determined that this is how it would be. And this is how it would happen. And so what we see the Bible, what the Bible basically does is it gives us a report of how it happened. How it unfolded, how God's plan unfolded, how we, how how He has been acting. God has been acting throughout history, acting in a way that reveals His, first of all, His commitment to His plan, His commitment to us, His people, His chosen people. Amen. And again, it began with Abraham. Then it led on to Isaac and Jacob and so forth. Now, um, over in verse uh, chapter 11, let's go over to our text. It says, Paul writes, he says, Again I ask, did they stumble as to fall beyond recovery? Who is they? Who does they refer to? That's the thing we need to ask. Whenever we're reading the Bible, we want to ask, who does they refer to? Well, they refers to, I'm convinced, it refers to, the Jews. It refers to the Jews. The descendants of Jacob. How do we know this? Well, 
he goes on, he says, not at all. Rather because of their transgression, that is the Jews, the covenant people of God, because of the covenant people of God, the Israel, the descendants of Israel, the, the, the descendants of, of Jacob, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. So right there, he's telling us that he's talking about Israel. He's talking about Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Well, the Gentiles are those who are other than the Jews. That's, that's, that's us. The church, basically. And not only the church, but all those who are not even part of the church. So basically, first of all, salvation came to who first? Israel. It came to Israel first. It came to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then Israel and all his descendants. God's plan to redeem, to bring back a people to himself, to bring them back into a right relationship with them. Because remember, after the fall, beginning with Adam and Eve, they were separated from God. They were cast, as a matter of fact, out of the presence of God. And so God has been working to bring them back, to bring them back through these people. Amen? So now, it's important to see, though, that salvation has come to the world. And, and really, this, that's the nation's. Of the world. Really, that's how you can see that. But there's a big problem here. The nations of the world are what? Sinners. They're sinners. And that's why, I don't know if you recall, I, I, you know, I said earlier, because salvation comes through the Jews, God has been using sinners to bless sinners. Listen, Israel, Jacob, Isaac, all of them, Abraham, they were sinners too. So basically, God, you know, listen, you got to understand, this is pretty powerful stuff. This is something we need to really consider because God has basically been using sinners to bless sinners. He has been using fallen creatures, creatures that are only fit for destruction to do his will. <laughs> How many of you can think of, I mean, how many, how many, you know, just think about all the things that we do in life. And one of the things that we do most is we eat. We eat. And then what happens after we eat? It gets digested. And then what does it do? Depending on how nutritious it, um, nutritious it is. Those the nutrition passes on to our bodies to help us function, to help us grow. But because we eat so much, a lot of that stuff ends up doing what? Passing through. And it becomes what? Waste. I don't think we've yet found out what to do with that waste. I don't think we've yet found out a real positive way to use that waste. To bring about good. There's not very many ways you can take waste. I'm using euphemism now. I'm using terms. Euphemistic. Euphemistic. Euphemistic way. I'm having trouble this morning talking. But I'm talking about poop. 
urine, feces, whatever you want to call it. See, I can say that because I don't get paid to do this. But anyways, I'm drawing a picture for you. Because technically, God has done that. According to scripture, all have what? Sin and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin are what? Death. So, the Bible makes it clear that we are dead in our sins and trespasses. Dead, folks, is dead. I was thinking about this yesterday. I got to admit, um, and I may be wrong, but I find it hard to go to a cemetery. I find it hard to go and visit the dead. God forgive me, and I'm sure that if there is a reason why I should be going to the, to the cemeteries, if there's a reason why I should be going to visit the dead, I'm sure God will let, let me know. I've tried it. I, I, I've had friends that have passed on, and I've tried visiting them as often as possible. And in the first year, I probably visited maybe on one hand. I could count how many times I visited, which is pretty good, actually, because after the, the second year, it had probably dwindled down to maybe twice. And now, after about the third year, it's just zero. Because I go and I visit, I see the tombstone there, and I see on the tombstone, I see a picture of that individual that I knew, I was very close with, and I miss him. But something told me that, you know what, that person's not there no longer. The person is in heaven with God. And so I share this with you because, you know, that is the state that we're in. By, by God's standards, by all account, we are dead. As far as God's concerned, we are dead. We are only, we're only fit for destruction. We're only fit to be buried and to be forgotten. That's all we're fit for. But God, this God, has determined to resurrect us. He has chosen to come to us in a manner that really is condescending. Yes, it's very condescending because he's really, he has, he has condescended to our, our level. He has come to our level. So that we can understand him. We can fully appreciate all that he, he has planned to do in Christ Jesus. But he had to. Because we couldn't understand any other kind of way. And not only that, because he, that was part of his plan. He uses, the, he uses foolish things of the world to confound the wise, the intelligent, the self-righteous person. That's what he does. And that's what he has did. He has used Israel, first of all, to bring us the message of salvation. The Gentiles to the nation. That's what Paul is talking about here. And interest, even more interesting, even though, the, even though the message of salvation came to them first, guess what? Now he's making them what? Jealous. Envious. That's what it says right here. They're envious of us. 
The, 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 many of the, the Israel, the Israelites, the Jews are, are envious of the Gentiles. At least they were, especially during that time. And Paul deliberately did that. Why did Paul do that? Why did the, why would Paul want to deliberately make the Gentiles envious? Why would he deliberately want to do that? What do you think? Well, Paul he reveals what why he did that. It says right here, um, if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? So Paul's saying, you know what? He's hoping that this will, will, will kind of cause them to change their mind, to think otherwise about the salvation of God, to think otherwise about Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Are you with me on this? This is important to see this. This is what Paul is talking about here. And then he goes on to say, I'm talking to you Gentiles. And so much as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? That is eternal life. So he's working diligently not only to save us, that is the Gentiles, but he's also working diligently to and hoping for the full salvation of his own people, like himself. Amen. So, uh, again, this is what salvation. This is why I say salvation has salvation comes through the Jews. OK. And God has been using sinners to bless sinners. Because clearly. Israel ha has rejected the gospel message of Jesus Christ. They rejected it. Not all of them. Don't get me wrong. I've got to make this clear. Not all of them. Because the church is made up of Jews and Gentiles. So there are some Jews that have accepted Christ as Lord. But there are still many who have not. And Paul is concerned about them. But now there's a danger here for us who are not Jews. The danger is we can become arrogant. We can become arrogant in our in our salvation. We can walk. We can listen. And there's a danger of us walking around and and bragging about our salvation. There's a danger. We forget that we are saved by what grace through faith in Christ Jesus in Christ Jesus alone. So it is not by works, lest any man boast. And so Paul, he's basically, he's warning us here at the same time. He's saying, listen, don't, don't get too puffed up about yourself. All right. Don't start thinking that, you know what, listen, you're better than them now or something like that because we're not. And you know what? I ha I've been reading on this. There are many leaders that has been, I should say not many are, but has been many leaders that have talked really badly about the Jews. And matter of fact, to a point of where many people in the church think that 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 we have now replaced the Jews in God's eye. And that's not true. That's clearly not true. The church is still clearly made up of Jews and Gentiles. There's Jews and Gentiles. Now, but don't get me wrong. We're one in Christ. That's clear, too. But still, there are members who are descendants, true descendants of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob 
and that God has made a promise to save them. And that he's going to he's he's going to he's going to come through on his his promises. And that's that's what Paul is also making clear here, too, at the same time. So let's not forget that. OK, now, um, again, just know that salvation has come through them, though, it has come through the Jews. And we have not replaced them. But let's keep, make that very clear. And we and point number two, because salvation comes through the Jews, the church looks forward to the. Sorry, point number two, I've got ahead of myself. Because salvation comes to the Jews, God has been using Christ to bless the church. Now, we need to understand that the church, again, is combined of both Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. Matter of fact, a lot of our traditions are based upon the Judaic religion. Judaism is based upon that. The preaching of God's word. You know, that, that all comes through them. And um, so we're just, you know, we got to remember that a lot. We owe a lot, first of all, to them. And we matter of fact, we should we should never forget that they they are central in God's eye as well. Now, also, though, we must understand, though, that Christ could, Christ has united us. Amen. This is the good news in Christ. There's no Jew nor Gentile. Black or white, male or female. There's no distinction. We're all one in Christ. Amen. And so this is the this is the good news. And this is why I say God has been using Christ to bless the church, to unite the church. Listen, in America, we want so badly to be thought of as the quote unquote the melting pot. That is that there's all people of all different races. But I'm here to tell you, that's true, but guess what? We'll never fully be united. That's my opinion, though, because I don't know for sure. I, I don't have a, a crystal ball or nothing like that, but I can tell you right now, if, if you really look at it and you really analyze what's happening right now with President Barack Obama, there, is a, there has been a, a, a serious shift in, in uh, race relations here in America, I think we're probably more. We could possibly be. Uh, I don't know. It seemed that way. I could be wrong, so I don't want to go down that path because I'm not. I'm just a preacher, but it doesn't seem like um, his message, which was um, basically to unite the nation, is, is working out right now. Um, there's, there's a serious division. Going on right now, and a lot of us is believed that it's based upon race, definitely because of economic ideologies and things like that. So, but anyways, true reconciliation, true uh, the, the true reconciliation has happened in Christ. In Christ, he has he has he has he has he has brought us together truly, spiritually. As a matter of fact. To a point of where we we are brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ. That's really what ultimately it works out to being. There's no more Jew or Gentile. There's no more black or white in Christ. And I love it. I love it because I have some I have some brothers in Christ that, you know, even have um, 
different ideologies as far as about or theologies and stuff like that. But I consider them still my brothers because they believe in Christ. And we think of each other as brothers in Christ. Amen. And um, Paul, he kind of touches on that. And, you know, he uses a lot of terms like this, like branches, the trees, roots and stuff like that. And but basically what he's trying to say, we're all part of one tree in Christ. Christ is the Christ is that is that 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 true tree, the living tree. And we all part of that tree like branches. We're branches. He's the true vine. He's the true. He's the true tree. And we're part of that tree. And that's what Paul is really trying to break out here. If you're reading this and you're like, what is he talking about? If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive shoot, do not boast over those branches. <laughs> okay, that's kind of confusing when you really think about it. But again, Paul is just saying, you know what, listen, we shouldn't be thinking like this. Because listen, Christ is our all in all. He is the true body. He is the true, the true uh, tree that bears the branches. Amen. And so we can't brag nor boast. And we can't never get to a place again where we think we're better than the Jews. Matter of fact, we were grafted in. What does that mean grafted in? That means we were attached to the tree and we have become part of the tree by grace. Through faith in Christ Jesus alone. This is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. You know, um, you can do that with certain trees. You can you can take a, a certain type of fruit. It can't be that, uh, it can't be totally different, but you can take a certain fruit and you can combine it with another tree, and then you have like you can take an orange and a grapefruit, and you can have like a combined orange grapefruit type of fruit. You know, and it's, you know it'd be great. They're good tasting and so forth and stuff like that. You can do that. You can take certain branches and you can take them and you can combine them with other types of trees, other types of fruit and stuff like that. And have some really great fruit. And, and essentially that's what we, has happened to us. We have been grafted in, engrafted I should say, engrafted into to the true uh, uh, vine which is Jesus Christ. The true tree. The true olive root. He's, he's the root. He's, he, he's the one that gives us all the nourishment that we need by the power of his Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul is really talking about here. We belong to Christ. To Christ. Amen. And so um, he says over here in verse 20. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Again, that's danger. We have to be very careful. We don't want to be walking around, you know, taking credit for our salvation in Christ. It's a gift from God. And so we, we don't we don't want to. Run into being arrogant or anything like that. Because, listen, he can cut us off just like he did them. Now, he cut them off for a reason. And what was that reason? To bring us in. To show them that, you know what? Listen, salvation comes from the Lord. Amen? <laughs> salvation comes from the Lord. We've got we to gotta always remember that. We always, always want to remember that, you know, salvation comes from the Lord. 
What is salvation? Well, Paul talks a little bit about that in verse 22. He says, consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. It's the kindness of God. Salvation is the kindness of God. God has been truly kind to us. Again, we're only deserving of what? Destruction. Being buried. Being forgotten. Never to be remembered ever again. But God has been kind to us. He has been merciful to us. He has forgiven our sins. Because of what the Son has done. Christ Jesus. He paid the price to deliver us from our sin. Amen? That was a gift from God. That's His kindness. Giving us not what we deserve, but giving us the treasure. The treasures of His love. Amen? Wonderful. This is wonderful stuff. Um, It says right here, also, sternness to those who fail, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. What does that mean, continue in his kindness? That means not to become arrogant. That means not to boast or to brag or to be walking around. Like, I, I have to admit, there's a lot of my brothers and sisters who are out there who are in danger of this because they walk around and they kind of cast out demons and they try, to, they try to battle demons and cast out demons in the name of God. They name it and claim it and all that kind of stuff. You know, and I don't want to talk bad about them, but really, that's an arrogant way of, 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 of thinking about your salvation. Thinking that because now that you're saved, you have it like that and you have the kind of power to wield and to, and to convince God and to, to, to sort of, sort of, um, um, Make him act as if he was like this little puppy in the sky. Wagging his tail, waiting for you to name it and claim it. Name it waiting for you to, to say the right words, to pray the right words. Praying, praying with big words and all that stuff as if it's going to impress God. That's, that's sad. That's, and that's the tragedy. And that's what we can all run into if we're not careful. That's how we can all become if we're not careful. If we don't remember and don't each, each Sunday come together to remind ourselves that we are sinners in the hands of an angry God. And we're only deserving of his judgment. We're only deserving of death. Are you with me now? Point number three. Because salvation comes to the Jews, the church looks forward to the return of Christ. That is the best attitude to have. The best attitude to keep from becoming arrogant in our sin is to, oh, man, I'm such a woeful sinner. Lord God, forgive me of a wretched sinner. Forgive this wretched sinner. Forgive me. And, and, and recognize and realize, just like I was speaking with my mom last night, I was like, Mom, you know what? God is faithful. He is truly faithful in all that he does. And no matter what, even when we're faithless, he's faithful. He's going to bring us through. Just like he did Israel, the descendants of Israel. He's going to, every single Israelite, every single Jew that he had promised to save, he is going to come through on it. Just like he's coming through it um, for us, the Gentiles, the church body now. The Jews and Gentiles. But in Christ, again, that, that line, all that has been, been blurred. All that is no longer the case. But I'm using these terms to kind of show you that, you know what, this is what Paul is trying to get us to a place of understanding. He's trying to get us to a place of where we are not depending on 
us. We're not depending on our works. We're not depending on the Judaism religious ceremonies, the 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 um, the um, sacrifices, the old sacrifices of bulls and lambs. We're not depending on that any longer. We're not depending on the Levitical priesthood. We're depending on the true Savior of us all, which is Jesus Christ. He has now become our priest, our high priest, our prophet, and our king, or I should say our prophet, priest, and king. He is that now. Amen? And that's who we depend on. And that's who we look forward to for his return. There's coming a day when the Lord Jesus will return. And again, he's going to make all this so clear to us. It's like it's going to be so clear to us. It's going to be as clear as we are seeing each other now. As clear as you're hearing me right now. He's going to come in his fullness and in his glory. And he's going to fully reconcile us unto himself. Now, I share, you, share this with you because... This, they, Paul talks about this in this passage here. He talks about the fullness of the Gentiles, of the church. He talks about all these things. Now, some people have, some people will, you know, there are brothers out there, I have some brothers out there who are, of, of, of you know, when it comes to eschatology, because that's really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about end times. They have a different view on it. And, you know, I don't want to knock them for their views or anything. But I'm just convinced that when Christ comes again, it's going to be everything's going to be made right. It's going to be made so right that um, it's just going to be a time where there's going to be no more crying, no more weeping, no more sadness. We're going to have new bodies, resurrected bodies. I, I just think it's going to be all completed. And, and, and the Bible talks about over in First Corinthians where all these things, everything that we know, the heavens, the earth and everything is going to it's going to pass away. And it's going to be renewed. We're gonna still we're gonna still live on this earth. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. I'm convict, convinced of that. When we receive our new bodies, we're gonna be on this earth again. I believe this is the place that will always be the place where God will will will, will um, dwell with us and live with us. That's His ultimate goal. I'm confident of that. I'm confident that this is this. You know what He started. He's gonna He's gonna complete in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so that's why the church looks forward to that day, because on that, the return of Jesus Christ, because that is the day when all things will be made full. All things will be renewed. All things will be brought back into his rightful place, in his rightful relationship with God, the Father. And we will be one with him. Meaning that, now don't, don't get me wrong, we're not going to be gods or anything like that. We're not going to become God, but we're going to be in communion with Him. We're going to be in a, in a relationship with Him where, again, we can know things about Him that He wants us to know so badly. He, for example, He definitely wants us to know about His love for us. He wants to know that He cares about us. He wants to know that He, he will always be there for us and with us and to provide for us. He wants us to know that we are his people and that he is our God. These are the type of things that he wants us to know. He's not, he's not trying to make us into these, these super gods or anything like that. That is not God's purpose or plan. As so many Christians, even right now, are wanting to be and, and hoping to be. And it's sad. And they walk around acting like that even right now. As if they're, they call them little gods, little G's they call them themselves. They're, but they're, they're acting arrogantly. I'm convinced of. And this is what Paul has been warning us about. And this is what we need as a church to be careful about. Are you with me now? 
Okay, so let's close. Let's close by remembering that we saw that because salvation comes through the Jews, God has been using sinners to bless sinners. I forgot the S there. It's a typo. I don't like typos. But anyways, and also in point number two, we saw that because salvation comes through the Jews, God has been using Christ to bless the church. Amen? That's the good news, people. We are being blessed day by day. It's a process. It's a sanctifying process by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's cleansing us. He's renewing us. He's, he's, he's making us in tune with, with Him. And, and that's why we call on Him every day. We call on Him. We call on the Father. Lord God, please help me in my infirmities. Please help me in my, in my weaknesses. In my weakness. Please help me, Father. Keep me from becoming arrogant in my walk with you, in my newness of life in, in Christ Jesus. That's salvation. It's a new life. And, 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 and give me the patience to wait, to wait on the future return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Here we saw, again, in the final point, that is that salvation, because salvation comes through the Jews, the church looks forward to the return of Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, I hope this message has blessed you. I have to admit, many things that I've discussed, I'm confident of it's from the Spirit. It's not, you know, I didn't, you know, I gotta admit, and I'm just so thankful, and I'm just so awed by the ways of our Lord, the ways of God. He is truly faithful. Even again, when we're faithless, He is truly faithful. Amen? So let us close in prayer. Oh Lord and God, thank you for giving us your Spirit. Thank you for increasing our knowledge and love for you. Oh, Lord God, thank you for enlightening us, enlightening us with this marvelous message from your written word. Bless our listeners, we ask and we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Please rise for the doxology. Now to him who is able to keep you and strengthen you according to the divine revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to the mystery that has been kept Secret for a very long time, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory and honor, both dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Please enjoy the rest of the day. Hug one another. God bless you. And I love you. Amen.